So we're in chapter 3 of Galatians, and I've told you that I'm reading through the book of Galatians over and over and over as I'm preaching and and planning and praying and waiting to see kind of how uh, God would lead my thinking in terms of uh, the preaching of the Word. And this last week, as I was reading repeatedly over the book of Galatians, I got to thinking, how would I feel... If I was a member of the New Hope Presbyterian Church in Galatia, and my pastor came to me uh, with the words that we're about to read, oh, you foolish Galatian, you know, Richard, how could you be so foolish? Who has bewitched you? How would I have felt? I mean, really intrigued. What would my, what would my gut response have been? I think I might be like, you know, you know, when, when, uh, one of you, you, you reach down to hug one of your grandkids or, or one of your kids and, and they're, they're not happy with you and you know how they, they, you know, and, and you, you know that there's just like, okay, I'm tolerating you for this 30 seconds. It's good. Okay. Done. Would I be that way? Would I have a, a stiff neck? You know, would, would, would I be, uh, would my heart be hard? When, when you are, when God admonishes or corrects or, or reproves you, how do you respond? Does, does, do the, the roots, the sinews of embarrassment kind of, kind of flare up in your heart? Do you get defensive? Do you get angry? How do you respond when, when someone, oh foolish man, who has bewitched you? Do you start to gossip on Facebook? Call your friends, you know, complain, moan, poor me, poor, poor, pitiful me. Is that your response? How, how, how do you, what happens in your heart when those kinds of words come? As I'm able to step outside of myself, I think, that's often how my flesh responds. It doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. As you step into the waters in Galatians chapter 3, it's like Paul meets us with a tidal wave of admonishment. Actually, he has five, actually there's six rhetorical questions here in this opening section. We're only going to look at the first five because the sixth one relates to the next paragraph in, in or next couple of verses in my view. So anyway, uh, it's, like, it's like Paul just, just floods us with his correction. And, um, you know, I think if I'd been confronted like the Galatians, my heart would have said, I'm just going to look for another church. I'm just going to go somewhere else. But you know what? I would have been desperately wrong. I would have been horribly wrong, actually, because I believe that response doesn't flow out of a heart that has been made secure in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It flows from an insecure pining for praise that turns the law into something of comfort. And folks, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. A heart seeking to be justified by works of the law is always a man-pleasing, ego-stroking, legalistically aligned blowtorch. It's just, it's like, it's like we go, 
if you don't do this the way we're going to do this, if you don't do this the right way, if you don't do this like we expect, then I am going to let you have it. You don't meet my expectations, then so be it. We identify righteousness before God with the respect that we gather from our peers, from our friends, from the folks who are around us, from our, from our human audience. And, and our, our emotions become like, a, like an oxacetylene torch. We just, we just burn through, blow through everything, cutting down anyone or anyone else or anything uh, that conflicts with us and our thinking. So Paul knew what this deadly concoction um, could be like. He knew that personally. He knew what it was to, to be someone who was in his heart bound to live by the law. That was, that was where he had been. But Paul had been changed. The life that Jesus Christ and the gospel snatched Paul out of, changed his approach, changed his thinking, changed everything in his heart so that Paul had a love for God. Paul's bold reprimand to, to the Galatians is, is like the... Like, like the charge of a defibrillator hitting our hearts, I think. It's, and Paul asked five good rhetorical questions here. So this morning, I want us to really get to these five questions. I want us to, to consider uh, how they touch into the, the places where we live and how they impact us. Um, these are sincere believers that Paul's writing to. You've got to know that. These Galatian people, they, they are, they're keeping the law because they want to be right with God. They've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and, and they've been confused, and they've added something to that, but they are committed to Jesus Christ. You know, maybe they were drawn in by the Judaizers, you know, because they thought maybe they'd get accepted into the inner circle of, of special believers or somehow with the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who had come from the Jerusalem church to Galatia. They had come from the mother church. They had come to the place where the, the church had begun, and they came there. They were like experts. They, they were like, you know, you know what an expert is, somebody who's from out of town and carries a briefcase. That's, they, they thought... They thought maybe they, should get, they could get something out of this, but they began to follow in the wrong way. Hey, look, they're not the only ones who do that, and we do it too. You and I both know that. It's easy for us to do that. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4 says. Sound biblical teaching is the antidote to the false ideas, and to the deviations that plague the gospel in every generation. Do you hear me? Every generation has its tendency to err one way or the other. Angry as Paul may have been, he doesn't neglect his pastoral duty to the Galatians, and uh, he meets them with five good questions. Let me read the scriptures, we'll pray, and then dive into the text. This is the inerrant, inspired, and infallible word of God. Let's give it our careful attention this morning. 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the law or by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you this morning that your Holy Spirit would remove the distractions would remove the things that would would take our hearts to other places than your word. May we be focused and allow your Holy Spirit to open our minds, to touch our hearts, to make us more like Jesus today because your word is like a surgeon's knife sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, dividing, pointing us toward godliness. Oh, Lord Jesus, make us more like yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we start, the first, my first point of the outline is basically this. Paul disrupts the uh, Galatians' law-keeping uh, thinking. He, 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 it's like he throws a bomb uh, in the, the letter in Galatia here. And you know what? I was reminded of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, when it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know what that means? It means, it means flattery is not friendship. Okay? I mean, we need to get that. I think the, uh, uh, one of the, the uh, tra- paraphrases puts it this way. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I can understand that, can't you? Paul, Paul was being a real spiritual friend as he comes to the Galatians with these five hard questions, these five pointed questions at them. Uh, he, he's, he basically says, the Phillips translation puts it this way, and, and I don't particularly like the way they do it, but I think it's profitable to some degree. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. Maybe that's a little meaner than Paul was being, I don't know. We, we don't like to use the word idiot in our household, except if we refer to me. Um, no, that's not true. Uh, I'm an idiot for saying that. <laughs> Forgive me. What Paul's saying, yeah, moving right along. What Paul is saying here this morning is that genuine faith obeys the truth. Genuine faith obeys the truth. Genuine faith is, is something that, that, that has to grow in us. And, and so when he asks this first rhetorical question, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly proclaimed among you as, as crucified? What's he saying there? 
He says, before your spiritual eyes, before, before the, not, not your literal eyes, but your spirit, the eyes of your heart, as, as, as Christ has been preached to you, as he has been, as he has been seen as the crucified Christ through your eyes of faith, do you see what he has done for you? The, the eyes are, are, are the spiritual eyes. Paul had, Paul had preached the crucifixion of Christ. But he hadn't just preached about the facts of the crucifixion, just the nails in his hands and feet, not, the, not just the sword in his side, but he talked about the meaning of the crucifixion. He had talked about the implications of the crucifixion. He had talked about God's plan of salvation from the very beginning of time before Adam and Eve came into existence all the way through to the consummation. He talked about the beauty of the gospel. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has, who has, who has thrown a, a, a towel over your head so that you don't see? Who has bewitched you? Who, who, is, who, is, who has made you like men who are not behaving rationally? He's not saying that somebody cast a spell on them, you know. He's not, saying, he's not saying there's some sort of witchcraft that's gone on here or something like that. He's saying that these Galatians are foolish, that they're thoughtless, that they are unthinking, that they are bewitched because they've been derived of their critical capacities uh, to think. You know, I kind of think it's like this. Have you seen those YouTube videos of uh, folks who have had their wisdom teeth pulled and the aftermath of that, I mean, you know, you're coming out of the, out of the anesthesia, and you can say some pretty uh, funny things, um, some pretty embarrassing things. Uh, I still have my wisdom teeth. They are not coming out, okay? So just so you know, uh, you're not going to get that one on me. But uh, at any rate, I think that's kind of the way Paul was, was representing the Galatians to themselves. He's saying, are, are you like someone who has just come out from under anesthesia? Who has lost your ability to think rationally and to think clearly? Remember who Jesus, the crucified one, is. Think about that. Paul's not, by the way, he's not calling them names, okay? Let me just, be, let me just get that one out there for sure. He's not, he's not deriding uh, the Galatian church. Instead, what he's doing is putting his finger on their basic problem, and that is a failure to apply their faith-enlightened minds to discern the truth from falsehood. He says, Galatian church, you're not thinking rationally. You're not thinking clearly. These Judaizers came in, and they said, hey, it's great that you've put your faith in Jesus. Faith is good. And you know you need to add to that faith something else. Now for them it was the keeping of the law. We do the same thing though, don't we? We add stuff to our faith. We, we want to add things that make us more righteous and more holy. That, that has a really familiar ring to it, doesn't it? They had departed from the truth. They had abandoned sound doctrine and started to work at keeping themselves in faith in Christ. They were trying to walk with Christ by their efforts. This is a, this is a dangerous edge to walk. 
Because I don't want you, and don't believe that the scriptures are teaching, that we don't apply effort to our salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're to work at it. We're to think about it. We're to work on who we are and what we are in Christ. We need to be people who are in the Word on a regular basis, who use the means of grace on a regular basis. But that doesn't keep us in the faith. Doing your quiet time doesn't make you a believer. You don't lose your salvation. You don't become a a bad Christian because you didn't have your quiet time this morning. Okay? Now, if you fail to spend time in the Word, and if you fail to to read the Scriptures, and if you fail to pray, and if you fail to take communion, and to be a part of the body of Christ, and, and to be under the umbrella of the church, and all those things, then you're putting yourself in a position where you are like the Galatians. But Paul says, we don't have to, we don't keep ourselves. The temptation for us and, and for the church today is that we would abound, abandon sound doctrine for something that's new and exciting, for something that's different, you know, for something we've not experienced before. We sometimes would rather submit to human ideologies than, than to uh, really and truly think about the truth that's in Christ, wouldn't we? I mean, sometimes we tailor to the gospel so that it suits the taste of men. We can't compromise in that way. It's easy to want to abandon the hard work of thinking for ourselves. It's easy to follow after false shepherds with persuasive personalities. There are plenty of those out there today. Turn on your TV. Turn on your podcast. There are lots of those people today. It's it's not exactly a, a good definition for it, but I call it cultic Christianity. The cult of following one of these who would, who would lead us astray. So how do we know if our Christian zeal is right? How do we know if it's proper? How do we know if we're, if we're maintaining that, that balance that Paul's calling us to, that, that God's calling us to here? Or, you know, or how do we discern that opinion and tradition and the culture and that our own preferences aren't ruling the roost? How do you check your heart? I think it's only by centering on the gospel. It's only by going back to the truth of what God's word has to say to us that keeps us from drifting into opinion and, and, and into tradition and into cultural trends and insecurities. We Presbyterians love our traditions, don't we? I mean, one of our grandest traditions is being the frozen chosen, right? We, we love We love theology, and that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. But are we just leaning on our theology? Are we just leaning on our traditions? Or are we saying everything must be accountable to the Word of God? The Word of God is our final standard of truth and right. Are we evaluating what we hear against the Word of God? Paul doesn't shrink from rebuking the Galatians with a bold intensity 
trying to trying to disrupt them, trying to to stop them, to disturb their patterns of misplaced faith, and and to unsettle their comfort, to make them to make them squirm a little bit, because they were shrinking back from grace. They had said, "I can do it. I can do this Christianity thing." You see, if I could if I could kind of sum it up for you in some way it is as if the 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 christians at galatia who are sincere and who love jesus and who love jesus just like you and i do were saying to themselves and were saying to paul and were saying to the world i've come to faith in christ and now i am holding on to god with everything that i've got I'm using all of my strength. I'm holding on to him with both hands, and I am hanging on. I'm going to walk with him, and I'm going to hang with him no matter what it takes. And guess what? That ain't the way it works. You see, God's the one who holds you in the faith. He's the one that, that picks you up and that, that holds you close. He's the one who is the rock and the shield and the fortress and the buckler. He's the one who is your provision. He holds you in the faith. You don't hold him. Oh, yeah, we, we put our faith in Christ, but we only do that because God's Holy Spirit has taken us out of death, out of deadness into life. He's the one who initiates our salvation and who carries us all the way to the end. He's the good shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. We don't hold on. He holds us. We and the Galatians need that truth. Second point. Genuine faith receives the Holy Spirit. I basically have given you that idea already, haven't I? Verse 2, Paul says, This is the only thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? By holding on. Or did you receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith? The Galatians knew what Paul was talking about. He talks to them as believers. He knows that they are believers. They are genuine believers. Um, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us, who makes us his own. The Galatian church had heard the preaching and understood the cross with crystal clarity. They knew what the cross was about. That's only something the Spirit can do. These objectors, these Judaizers, these, these, these law keepers from Jerusalem may have muddied their thinking with all their clever arguments. They couldn't do anything to change the experience the Galatians had had. God had changed their heart. There was something different about them now. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Works of the law. Pagan or Jewish, any kind of law, any kind of law keeping. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be good. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to live by the golden rule. By the way, there's nobody that's able to live by the golden rule. Okay, just, let's just get that out there and get that squared away. Pagan or Jewish law, it doesn't matter. 
God's Holy Spirit awaken their hearts from death to life. And that's the key. That's, that's the thing. When they heard the gospel, God's Holy Spirit breathed the breath of life into them. The gates of heaven were opened. Surely, as Paul says, this hasn't been in vain, has it, Galatian church? This hasn't been in vain in your life, has it, believer in Jesus Christ? You know, the evidences of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, of his presence in us, are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, and so on. Those things don't happen when you first obey. When you start to obey, those things happen when you first believe. And there's a big difference between those two. It's the same way. I ran across this great quote. Would you pop it up on the screen there? I don't even know who who said this, but I think this is great. The false teachers in Galatia were great at selling train tickets to the state of guilt, where the forest of shame was always open. The devil loves to ally with those voices. He's the chief engineer, wants nothing more than to pull down the blinds so you can't see the grace of the cross out of the window of your soul. The great jailer masking himself as a tour guide to freedom, but his doctrine can never produce the Spirit's fruit. You ought to write that one down. That, that is a, an incredible picture of what the deceiver does in our hearts, isn't it? I, I just thought it was just poetic. I, I thought it was wonderful. I think that's why the, Paul calls the Galatians to look back. The state they were in when they heard the gospel, where were they? Where were they before they heard the gospel? What was their life like? Were they living in guilt and shame? Was that the purpose of their lives? Was that the driving motivator of their lives? How were they living? What difference did the gospel make when they first heard it? Did it set them free? Did it change your heart? Did it set you free? Did it, did it make you different? Is the same fruit being produced in your life today because of the work of the Spirit, is this, that fruit different than the work that was being, the fruit that was being produced in your life before Christ? Ask yourself that question. If you're struggling with your assurance of salvation, you need to ask yourself those kinds of questions. What kind of fruit is my life developing? What am I showing? I, I think one of the Chief reasons that we get hung up and, and, and we lose, our, lose sight of our faith in the gospel is because we don't understand the difference between justification and sanctification. I really do. Sanctification is forgetting about ourselves and it's looking at Jesus the same way John the Baptist did. It's, it's looking at Jesus and it's being able to say, he must increase and I must decrease. The Christian life is always a life of faith. Active righteousness, performance, is never the ground, is never the root, the source of our justification. Active righteousness is just the evidence of that. We bring nothing to the party except our sin. Third point that Paul makes, third question that Paul asks, rhetorical question. Uh, you know, a rhetorical question is a, is a question that's, or is a statement that's disguised as a question. It's a statement that, that, that is, is hiding out. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Look at that verse 4. 
Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You've got to know a little bit about this. Uh, like most believers in, of their day, the Galatians had, had gone through some suffering for their faith. Being identified with Jesus, being identified as a Christian, had caused some suffering and persecution in their lives. You know about the persecution that's going on in the church in China. You know about the persecution that's going on in Africa and other places. It had proven costly to follow Christ and to be known as a Christian in the city of Galatia. The nature of the persecution might change here. But all Christians are persecuted in some way or another. It's simply because we don't belong. Our citizenship is not in this world. The, the desires of our heart are not necessarily tied up in our, the system of, of our world around us today. And I think Paul's basically saying here, it's a serious mistake when the Galatians rely on their sufferings as an evidence of their faithfulness to God. Well, we're suffering persecution, so that means we're being faithful to God. If they follow the Judaizers, if they reject the true gospel, even their suffering won't prove what will prove to be in vain. It won't prove their faith. Without genuine faith in Christ alone, the Galatians had endured, the things that they had endured for their, for their faith was really with no purpose at all. And that's why Paul says, if indeed it was in vain. Well, let's look at the fifth point this morning comes out of the fifth verse. So Paul's final question for us today. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith? True faith is evidenced in work. True faith is evidenced in fruit, in God-honoring actions. James put it this way, show me your faith without works, if you can, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James is exactly right, James 2.18. The entire burden of Hebrews chapter 11 is the evidence of faith, is, is the fruit of faith working itself out. Uh, over and over again, the writer in Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, uses those two words, by faith. And he goes on to describe some kind of action, some kind of venture, some kind of, some kind of achievement or accomplishment by the person in question. Think back through Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah. What did Noah do? Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham. What did Abraham do? He obeyed when he was called. By faith, Sarah with godly, or, uh, received strength to conceive, seed, to become the, the mother of the Jewish people. That work of faith is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's indwelling us. God supplies the Spirit by hearing with faith. We need to remember that. We need to live in that. Paul's saying to the Galatian church, remember where you've come from. Remember what God has done in you. So, so here's kind of the secret. It's the mechanics, if you like, 
of godly living. Godly living, being mature in Christ, is something that we do by faith, not by effort, not by our strength, not by our ability. As part of the work of regeneration, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of faith to us. He gives us spiritual sight. He transforms us from dead men who can do nothing from them for themselves, the living souls who receive and trust in Christ alone. The works of the law are not a gift from God. They're not, they don't bring spiritual sight. They don't empower us to live by the Spirit. They, just, they depend on our, the arm of our flesh, the strength of our arms. Paul is saying by, by no means, saying that our faith pushes us or, or pulls God to, to uh, give us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit proceeds from faith. He pricks us when we hear the word. He causes us to hear the voice of the shepherd. The Spirit is the one who gives our ears hearing, who, who makes us those who would respond to the word. John put it this way in his gospel. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That is the truth of who Jesus is for us. So Paul's argument in this last question runs like this. Let me see if I can summarize it for you. He says, you can't possibly deny your experience of the Holy Spirit and the regeneration of the heart. The life-shaping power of the Spirit didn't come by works of the law. You experienced the reality of the Spirit as you heard with faith. It was grace from beginning to end. So what's changed? What do you now think? Is faith not enough? That's Paul's argument here in these first verses. Let me bring it down to where we live. If, if you're living... If you look to your emotions, if, if you look to your feelings for the ground of your holiness, if you look to the, the circumstances around you for, for your righteousness or your lack thereof, if you feel pride or sorrow over the place where those things put you with God, and, and so we want to add work, and we, we want to cleanse our souls. You know, we're, we're, good at, we're good at cleaning the kitchen floor, so why not, you know, we have to work at that, so why not clean up the, the floor of our souls? If, if, if you're putting your efforts into cleaning yourself up, making yourself right with God, if you're living by your emotions, Paul says, forget it. It is only by grace that you are saved. You know, God... Sometimes we think God can't surely continue to love me. I've failed for the umpteenth time. I've screwed up. I, I'm not any good. I can't do it. I've failed. There's something else that he needs from me. You know, back in the early days of the faith, they would wear a hair shirt or, or they would uh, um, beat themselves. And, uh, you know, self-flagellation, is that the trick? Is that what it's going to take? It's a bit extreme. 
If you read church history, you'll see that that didn't work. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we just beat ourselves up because we just don't do it right. You know what we need to do instead of beating ourselves up? We need to go back to the Word. Simple. It's so simple, it's, it's almost ridiculous. We need to go back to faith. We need to go back to the gospel. Sometimes we need to interrogate the legalist in us, too. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, why are you being so caught up with that? I'll be honest with you, this morning's music ripped my guts out. It started yesterday when I got the text. And I thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to worship? What's going to happen? And I realized all of a sudden that one of my idols is that worship, and worship music in particular, would be really, really good. We've made some great steps there. But all of a sudden, God took that idol away from me. It's been a hard day for me. Do you realize that that because that idol was in my life, I've been almost in tears today? I need to go back to the gospel. I need to go back to the reality of faith. I need that just as much as these foolish, bewitched Galatians. It's my fault. The music wasn't up to par today because God was working in my heart. Now, that's not really a fully true statement, and you know that. But I can tell you that God has done something good out of that. He's helped me to see a little bit more of my dependence on him and my own need to go back to the gospel. It's hard. Hey, look, Peter had learned this lesson over and over again, and I am no better than Peter. You know what happened to Peter, right? Peter stepped out of the boat. Peter started to walk on the waves. When did he start to sink? He took his eyes off of Jesus. He started thinking about what he was doing. He started thinking about his work. So let me say this. Our application for today. When your heart's in a dark place, look to Christ. When it feels like a failure, look to Christ. When you feel like your sin is overwhelming, look to Jesus. Look to him. Don't look to who you are or what you've done or what you did. Look to Jesus. Go again to the cross. The perfectionist within you will tell you over and over and over again what a failure you are. Surely I ought to be beyond that. But faith says this. Faith says the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. To make progress in your Christian life means that you go back to the cross over and over and over again. We never get to the place where we can leave the foot of the cross. No matter how mature, no matter how long you've walked with Christ, you never get past grace. It's God's gracious mercy that he will not let us live without his crucified son as our constant dwelling place. We're going to uncover the table in a minute. And we're going to receive some tangible reminders of that fact. But it's the cross we've got to go back to. Don't look to your idols, whatever they might be. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to Read the book of Galatians and read this opening verses of chapter 3 and think, huh, those silly folks, how could they forget what you've done? How could they forget the gospel? How could they forget the, the grace that they've experienced? How could they begin to think that they could keep themselves in the faith? Father, Forgive us when we do just like they do. Forgive us for letting our idols take center place in our hearts and in our minds. Help us, Father, to see that we've got to go to the foot of the cross. That that's where we live. That that's where our hearts are. Father, help us to be shaped and patterned after Jesus. Lord, we talked about cruciformity last week. We talked about the idea of being conformed to the image of Christ in his death, dying to self, living to you. Help us to do that. Oh, Lord Jesus, meet us at the table here in just a moment. Remind us of your physical bodily sacrifice. But Father, as important as incredible as that is remind us of the even more profound truth that jesus bore our sin he took my sin my idols my particular sin to the cross and he took my punishment and he gave me his righteousness instead of what i deserve Oh, Lord, meet us at the table, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.